When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the man that's being blamed for this current downturn. And this is what he just said. We'll make a decision whether to raise uh, the federal funds rate. I, I would say that uh, the committee is, uh, is, is of a mind to, to, to raise the federal funds rate at the March meeting, assuming that uh, conditions are appropriate for doing so. He just mentioned that rates are going to be raised in March if conditions warrant it. Warren Buffett describes interest rates as gravity. As rates go up, everything else goes down. And as everything else goes down, a lot of people end up making very poor financial decisions. And that is why in this episode, we're going to be talking about the market downturn, the psychology behind it, and the biggest things that will likely cause you to lose money in this downturn. So let's go ahead and jump right in and do some foundational knowledge about this downturn. The big thing that we need to understand right off the bat is that risk is good. Risk is good. Investments without risk have something in common. Investments without risk across the board yield low returns. The best example of a no-risk investment is the U.S. three-month treasury. It is a short-term bond from the U.S. government. It is insured by the full faith and credit of the United States government, and relatively speaking, it has no duration risk because it's only a three-month bond. This is truly a no-risk investment. You'll notice that the yield on this investment is 0.193%. That is what you earn from taking on no risk. You earn, relatively speaking, no money. If we move up the risk profile just a tad, from the three-month treasury to the 10-year treasury, then we have a bigger yield. It goes to 1.78%. That's not because investors are worried about being paid back, but that's because the length of the bond. There's opportunity cost associated with it, and there's duration risk with interest rates. If interest rates rise, it makes these bonds worth less. So there's slightly more risk with this, and investors get compensated slightly more. Instead of earning less than half a percent, now at least they earn 1.78% for a 10-year treasury. But this treasury has something in common with the other treasury. Because they're insured by the US government, because they're considered very low risk, they have very low yields, very low expected return. In a recent column on the Wall Street Journal, Jason Zwig highlights this point even further. If stocks always went up, they would be riskless and their returns would end up being paltry. The short-term pain of loss is the price we pay for the potential and meaningful long-term gains. But those returns are not always easy to earn. This brings us to the big issue here. Risk means volatility, and volatility requires a specific temperament. We're all basically the same when it comes down to it. We all do a quick glance at the history of the S&P 500 or the QQQ. We see that it goes up over time, and we see little zigs and zags along the way, little dips and spikes along the way, and we think, you know, this doesn't look so bad. I can take on this volatility. Investors, uh, you know, this seems really easy. Like who, who would sell at the low point here when there's going to be a high point soon enough, right? It seems easy in theory. It's always easier to look from the sidelines and say, yeah, I could do that. That's not a big deal. But then when you're actually in the volatility, when you're experiencing it, when you're seeing the market sell off day after day after day, your portfolio dropping five, 10, 20, $30,000 in the course of 30 days, that's a tough thing to go through. Actually experiencing it is tougher. In the past 30 days, I've averaged being down $1,000 per day. 
It's a lot of money in a 30-day period. Taking on volatility is no joke. It's incredibly difficult to do. We know from example after example that volatility causes people to sell at inopportune times. They buy when things are good, they buy when stocks are going up, and then they sell them when they're going down. They sell them when they're taking on losses. And this is the exact opposite of what we should be doing. From Bloomberg, retail traders bailed on the market right before stocks rebounded. This article is from the incredible trading day just a couple days ago, January 24th, when the market went down 5% and then quickly recovered and closed in the green. In the spasm of panic selling early Monday, retail investors offloaded a net $1.36 billion worth of stock by noon, most of it in the first hour. The sheer disposals were 3.9 standard deviations heavier than the full average in the previous 12 months. Bloomberg has a graphic here outlining the selling that went on with retail investors as the market was down 5% that day. Many retail investors flooded their brokerages with sell orders during the panic of a 5% drop, and then after that selling was completed by those investors, the market surged up another 4%, wiping away all the losses and landing in the green. So again, looking in hindsight, looking back in time, volatility always seems like no big deal. You buy low, you sell high, who cares what happens in the middle? But the middle is a difficult part. Holding through volatility requires a specific temperament. And if you have that specific temperament, if you're able to hold on to companies during volatility and even buy them more aggressively when stocks fall in price, that's where you earn the premium that comes from risk. An asset's risk premium is a form of compensation for the investor. It represents payment to the investor for tolerating that extra risk and volatility that comes along with risk assets over risk-free assets. In short, the way that you earn the premium that comes along with taking on risk is holding through the volatility. I think it changes my perspective when I realize that risk is a good thing. Without it, you would earn low-yielding returns. Without risk, you'd have no volatility. Volatility requires a specific temperament, but it also allows for you to pick up on amazing companies that would otherwise never drop in price. There is no volatility, there would be no sell-offs. There would be no deals in the market. And this is where I think the next important piece comes in, and it's a bit of psychology in the marketplace. You'll find out that this is incredibly accurate the more that you invest. Sentiment follows price. When prices of assets go up, the sentiment changes to the positive. People feel good when prices go up. When people feel good, they buy. So people buy at higher and higher prices. And inversely, when prices start to trend downwards, that's when things change negative. There's news of the impending crash that's happening. You should get out of the market. You should be scared about your investments. They were never good investments in the first place. They were all overvalued. These weren't good companies. You shouldn't have ever been buying them in the first place. And these losses you're taking on are just a reflection of how bad of an investor you are. This happens every time the market trends upwards and every time it trends downwards, sentiment follows price. So if you somehow have a way of managing your temperament and maintaining a positive sentiment when stock prices are dropping, you can take advantage of all the negative sentiment. And likewise on the inverse, when everyone else has a very positive sentiment because stock prices are going up, you can have a more negative sentiment. You can be a little bit more cautious when prices go up and a little bit more aggressive when prices go down. This is, after all, exactly the blueprint that Warren Buffett lays out for investors. There's so many examples of companies that have dropped down dramatically in price and have now entered territories that they haven't traded at for a while. Google's trading at a 23 Ford PE ratio. A 23. This is barely above the S&P 500. You could say the same thing for Meta. This company has sold down like crazy over the past couple of months. It's trading with a Ford PE of 22. 
Starbucks is another high-quality company that's dropped down over 24% from its all-time high. It's now trading with a Ford P.E. ratio of 28. There's some other companies that have been completely crushed in this market. Netflix has dropped 40% from its all-time high, and sentiment has wildly shifted to the negative for this company. PayPal is another one of these companies that a lot of people were waiting for a dip to buy. They loved this company just a couple months ago. It's down over 50% from its all-time high. It's trading at a P.E. ratio of 32. This is very cheap compared to PayPal's historical average. How you feel about the company should be judged on the fundamentals of the company and their future outlook, not on the sentiment or recent price action of the market. Now, the last thing that I think is very important to point out is although we can be more aggressive when prices start to trend downwards and we can look for good deals whenever we're buying a company, having ultimate market timing and trying to time the top of the market and the bottom of the market is impossible. Market timing in and of itself is a feeble attempt at trying to earn the rewards of risk without going through the risk. That is impossible. There's no way to decouple those two things. Warren Buffett explains that even with the tools he has, the data he has, the many businesses he runs, he still has no way of accurately predicting the market. I like to get numbers. <laughs> so so I, I'm, I'm getting reports in weekly in some businesses. Uh, uh, that, but that doesn't tell me what the economy is going to do six months from now or three months from now. It, it tells me what's going on now with our businesses. Uh, uh, and it really doesn't make any difference in what I do today in terms of buying stocks or buying businesses, what those numbers tell me. They're interesting, but they're not, they're not guides to me. If, if we buy a business, we're going to hold it forever. So we're, we're going to have good years, bad years, in-between years, maybe a disastrous year some year. <laughs> and... and uh, we, we care a lot about the price. We do not care about the next 12 months. Buffett, after all, clearly has the temperament to earn the premium for risk assets. This is something that he's never had a problem with. He's always been a buyer when prices are extremely attractive, and he looks to sell equities when they become extremely overvalued. Now, in addition to this answer he just gave, he's asked again about the economy. What's going to happen with the economy? And here's his reply. Economic predictions just don't enter into our decisions. Charlie Munger, my partner, and I, in you know, 54 years now, we've never made a decision based on an economic prediction. We make business predictions about what individual businesses will do over time, and we compare that to what we have to pay for them. But we have never said yes to something because we thought the economy was going to do well in the next year or two years, and we've never said no to anything because we were right in the middle of a panic even if the price was right. With the endless news cycle of macroeconomic events and Fed interest rates and inflation always revolving in circles and constantly ongoing, it becomes very tempting to try to factor this type of information into your investments. But doing so is incredibly difficult. Monish Prabhai explains why he doesn't try to factor in economic or macro events into his investing. Investing is difficult enough if you're just trying to understand a business and how it works. I think when you start overlaying and trying to make assumptions, okay, here's what I think will happen to interest rates or unemployment or recession in this year or that year, all of those things most people are wrong about. Everything I thought that would happen with COVID in March 2020 turned out to be wrong. I mean, I would have never guessed that now we'd be sitting at all-time highs on the stock market after you know more than half a million people died in the U.S. And we had all these lockdowns and stores and everything shut down and businesses, people working remote. I also wouldn't have thought that remote work would have led to a more productive workforce and not a less productive workforce. These are all counterintuitive. And so I think that the best thing to do is not to give too much weight 
and not to think too much about the macro because it's a lot harder and it it may not have an effect in the end at all. Manish is completely correct. Who would have ever guessed the economy and the stock market would be in the situation it is? It would have been virtually impossible to predict. So as we navigate through this volatility, keep in mind that risk is okay. Volatility is your friend. Don't be fooled by widespread bad sentiment. As prices come down, companies become more attractive investments, not less. And then last but not least, timing tops and bottoms is impossible and unnecessary. Now that's all for this episode. If you enjoyed this type of content, be sure to subscribe to the channel and I'll have more out in the future. Other than that, I'll see you in the next one.